This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Again, my subtitle for that was, well, here it is again, God's Purpose in the Family, the Purpose Image of the Male and the Father, subtitled, Jesus Christ, the Pattern for Every Man. Again, it's Jesus Christ, the pattern for every man. So I'm going to start by reiterating what the call is for the family. And the call is to produce spiritually and emotionally established believers who in turn gets God's redemptive work done on the earth. See, God has called us to a purpose. And that's one thing we have to keep in mind throughout all of these teachings. You're going to hear certain things that may seem like, oh, that applies to the marriage, or that applies to this part of the marriage, that applies to this part of of this. Just remember, bring it all back into purpose, though. Everything that we say will line up with purpose. And you'll hear some things today and you're going to be like, oh, does that have to do with purpose? I guarantee you it has to do with purpose because God has not created anything without purpose. All things are created by him and for him. And if it's created for him, there's a purpose. So keep that in mind. God has a purpose for us, but in order to be on his purpose, like Minister Hayson said a few weeks ago, God must be your priority. That has to be your first, he needs to be your last, he needs to be everything. That's a song, right? My first, my last, my everything. God has to be your priority. So again, my, my focus on this portion of family life will be to endeavor to add on to what the purpose image of the male is, or the husband or the father um, is for the family. So let's go ahead and get to Genesis chapter 2. And again, I'm going to start like we did last week at verse 7 and 8 and read that here. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And I read that to you because I wanted you to see that the man was formed first. And there's a, there's, there's a purpose behind that. And then we're going to read, jump down to verse 15, and I'm going to read 15 through 24. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him, make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And that's what we're going to pick up again today. And I'm going to kind of pick up from where Minister Rick left off as well again. We're talking about leaving and cleaving, and then we're also talking about dressing and keeping. Um, and what I wanted to get from this passage of scripture is that we have to see that God has positioned the male in the family, just like he positioned Adam in the garden to dress and keep the family and to work it. It's the male's position to do that. And we talked about positioning last week as well. We talked. To, I gave an analogy of, like a, I said, a basketball team. I said the male, though he may be the coach of the team, there's no team without the player. 
there's no, it, it's not about who was created first, it's you're activated now, if that makes sense. The male was, he was, he was formed first, he's activated in this position. Why? For purpose. Adam was placed in the garden and God gave commandment to Adam, and then what was Adam to do? He was to teach. He was to give it to his family. That's what the male has been positioned to do. Everything, it has everything to do with what the creator has positioned you to do. Not, it has nothing to do with being priority or being first. The male, it's not, God doesn't have a special relationship with the male. It's not about your relationship, it's about your position. It's about purpose. There's many, like I said last time, there's many misconceptions and stereotypes in today's world because the man was created first that come from the world and they seeped into the church. And people think that the male are, you know, they're, they're supposed to be silent, they're supposed to be, you know, tough and, and things like that. But the male has been put there to cultivate the family, to protect the family, to dress it, to keep it, to nurture the family. And then I said that. The pattern for every man, again, is Jesus. And so we went to a couple of scriptures that I want to read, and I want to read those two again this morning because it flows right with it. We turn to Galatians chapter 3 and Romans chapter 8, and I said I'm just going to let those flow right behind each other, so you don't have to turn there now. I'm going to read them again myself and start from here. And the question was, before I read these scriptures last week, was what makes Jesus the pattern for every man? And so... Starting in Galatians chapter 3, and if you weren't here last week, you can note these scriptures down. It's Galatians 3, verse 26 through 29, and then I'm going to flow right into Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 29. And it says, For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Romans. And we, and we know that all things work together for the good to them that love, for, for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he has known beforehand, he has also predestined to bear the likeness of his son, that he might be the eldest in a vast family of brothers. And we, I said that in some, some, some of our, our versions it says the firstborn. So we looked at that word eldest or firstborn there to see what it means. And we saw that it meant the mentor or the model or one to be followed or one to be watched and learned from. And then I said that interestingly enough, it says it means father. It means, it means I'm sorry, it means father and it means the patriarch. You know, the father of it. And I, and I said last time, Adam was the elder or the father of fallen man, where Jesus is our father. He's the father of the new creature. He's the first fruit, the first to rise in the immortal body. And all this was for purpose sake. And then I also referenced Romans chapter 5, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall we be made righteous. And then so we went into, and I told y'all last time that I was going to, or actually weeks before that I was going to explain what everlasting father was, and we went deep into that last time. I'm not going to do that again, but again, if you don't know the reference scripture, you haven't been here this month, but Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7, we discussed what the everlasting father was, and we said that it actually can be trans translated the father of your eternity. And then we went to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 through 17. We're not going to read all that again here together, uh, today again, but we referenced that scripture. We referenced Isaiah chapter 8, verse 18. We referenced Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. And it all referred to Jesus as being our everlasting father. We also went to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, and we saw the characteristics of Christ. And I'm going to go through those characteristics of Christ again. I'm not going to read those scriptures again, but I'm going to go through those characteristics again, and then I'm going to tell you why we saw those again. And the characteristics were, and there were seven of them, and we said seven signifies the completion and the perfection of Christ. 
but the characteristics were, one is the image of God. And I'm reading these, but if you read the scripture, Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 20, you'll see it'll, it'll mention all these characteristics of Christ. We said, one, is he's the image of God. Number two, he was the firstborn over creation. And we said the firstborn denotes two things of Christ. He preceded the whole of creation, and he's the sovereign over all of creation. We said, number three, that he's the creator of the universe. Number four, he's the head of the church. Number five, he's the first form, firstborn from the dead, firstborn into the immortal body. That's what makes him our everlasting father. We said, number six, he's the fullness of God. And number seven, he's the reconciler of all things. And we're not going to go into these like we did last, last week, but we said there's one thing that we must see about Christ in this passage of scripture, and that he is preeminent in all things, and that he needs to have the preeminence in your life. This, this, th that makes him the father of your eternity. And we said another phrase for that was the captain of your salvation. And we said he can only be these things for you if you continue in the faith. And we also looked at Mark chapter 3, and I'm just trying to do a quick review. We looked at Mark chapter 3 to see who was the family of Jesus. And we said he's the elder to those who do the will of the father. Because they said, well, here's your mother, and here's your brother. And he said, oh, my, mother, my, my brethren are those that are here, the ones who do the will of the father. So the will of the Father is the character or image, or image that Jesus shows us. That's, and we said that is the pattern of service. But we also said that service denotes action. So we said that who you are as a man or a husband or a father in Christ should be seen in your actions and not just your words. Because if it's just in your words, then let me tell you, you're not following the pattern for every man because Jesus was more than just words. Because when he spoke it, it was done. And I said that success as a male or a father, it comes when you realize this one fact, and this is learned straight from the pattern for every man, that it's not about you. It's about service. It's about purpose to, or service to your purpose. And that's what it's about. And again, like we said, I'm going to go through this list again. We said men nowadays think that their image should be tough and hard and silent. And we got a little bit, we got into it a little bit about when it's time to speak and when not to speak. Or, uh, and we'll get a little bit on that again today as well. But we said that some men think that they should be emotionless or not intimate or always working outside the home. Their focus is just getting money, you know, thinking that I'm the provider because I make the money. But you have to provide more than just monetary things for your family. Because God, he's a purposeful God, and it's, it has nothing to do with your money. That is part of it, but you have to provide way more than that. We said that the men, that they always want to, they have an idea of not receiving counsel. They always want to give counsel, but they don't want to receive it. But that's how it's been from the beginning. Adam received counsel from God, and he had to, then he was able to give it. Then he was able to give it to his family. That's the ordained method of God. That's his divine order. And then man thinking that they never need or accept help. I'm going to tell you right now, a weak man is one that can't receive help. God created man a help meet. If you can't receive help, I'm going to tell you, you're a weak man. Uh, if you can't accept help, that's a weak man. You will never be what God wanted you to, or created you to be if you can't accept help. Take that down, especially men. Write that down. If you can't receive help, if you think you have all the answers, then you have none of the answers. Some men, like I said, because they were created or formed before women, they think they're better than women. And some, in today's world, are just confused altogether. They think they are women. And I said, it's all because the, the, the world's image has seeped into the church, and we began to worship the creature more than the creator, Make, making idols of ourselves. But I'm here to tell you that 
just because men, male, and I, I'm going to say this again because I'm talking to the males. Females, you can, you can glean a lot from this. And I'll talk to you a little bit today too. But it's going to be mostly about the male. But just because a male says, just because he was created, you know, or formed first, doesn't mean that he's in right relationship with God. And, and then a side note as well, for my sisters, because I said this last week as well. You know, if you're looking for a man, don't just look for a man. And as a matter of fact, let a man find you. But anyway, if you're looking and you're out there advertising for a man, don't just say, I'm looking for somebody who's in right relationship with God. Because there's many men who say, oh, I'm saved. I'm filled with the Spirit. I've been baptized. And anybody can say that. But are they diligently chasing after God's purpose? Because if they know that's what you're looking for, they could just say that that's what they are. But it's going to be, like I said earlier, it's all about your actions. It's more than your words. So my sisters, I'm going to help you right now, one-on-one. Don't bring a man that doesn't even, first off, number one, he needs to be in a relationship with God. So that should be some of your first things that you're finding out. You know, somebody who's interested in you or, or bringing themselves to you, you need to find out, do they have a relationship with God? Because remember, what it, the leaving and cleaving process starts well before marriage. It starts well before marriage. And if you have somebody who's interested in you seriously, and they're trying, to, they're, trying to, they're trying to progress to that stage with you, and they haven't even started a relationship with God, then you're behind. And all you're doing, especially if you have a relationship with God, is pulling yourself behind. You're slowing yourself down. I'm not saying you can't minister to this person, and, and, some, and some things may not happen later on, but right now, that is not your focus. That's just a distraction. So be on the, ladies, that's just for you. A man that, if a man is interested in you, your first criteria doesn't need to be how fine he looks or how his body is. Is he in right relationship? That's first. But then, after that, is he seeking God's purpose? That'll help you out. Let those be your first criteria, and I promise you can weed out a whole lot. You will weed out a whole lot of riffraff and save yourself a whole lot of trouble. Let those things be your first, your first thing that you look for. So again, like I said, it has nothing to do with being formed first. It's all about what God's intended position is for the male. And then we also talked about, a, you know, a lot of men want respect and praise for being the male and doing the things that they were already positioned to do. All the, what you were created to do, what God has blessed you to do, you want credit for it. And then when you do those things, you approach your family with the works of your hand. And I said, when you approach your family with your works, it causes division in the home. And we went to Philippians chapter 2. And let's go there again. I think this bears repeating. So Philippians chapter 2. And I'm trying to get through this quickly because I have a lot to get to today. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 3 through 8. And it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. So nothing be done with contention or argument or conflict or self-conceit. But what does it say? Let's go ahead and jump down to verse 7. But made of himself no reputation. It's talking about Jesus because he is the pattern of every man, right? What we said that the man needs to do in his house is empty of himself of who he thinks he is. Listen, put yourself on the altar. Become a servant. Uh, submit to the Lord and his purpose for your life. Quit trying to do the works because, like I said, the works of your own hand will cause division in your house. And the family is in the hands of the man whether he knows it or not. So you need to submit to the Lord. 
And then we also say we need to remember that the highest priority is the direction of the home. And if you're not pleased with the direction of your home, then the father needs to look at himself first. Don't go to the wife. Don't go blaming the children. Don't go blaming the job. Look at yourself. Because let me tell you something. Every family has, these, has, these, has, has the wife, has children, has uh, hopefully the father's working or has a job. Everybody has these things. Don't look. The, the common denominator is you. Look at yourself. And so we went to Matthew chapter 7 and we saw that what the man needs to do is get the, get the beam out your own eye first. Before you start blaming and, 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 and throwing around blaming your family, you need to look at yourself first. Start with you. Why do I need to start with you? Because you've been positioned. <laughs> That's your position. You were formed first. Start with you because there's no way that you can correct anything else in your family if you're not correct. There can't be. God gave the command to Adam and Adam had to pass it to Eve. So get the command from God so that you can command your family in the ways of the Lord. Start with yourself. Get the beam out your own eye. And so then we went to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're still in review, but I'm almost caught up, and that time is flying. So let's go over to Ephesians chapter 5 and see the pattern for every man. And this review is kind of quick, so if you missed last week and you haven't got to hear the recording, just take you some time and go and, and listen to it, and you can get caught up. But Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to start at verse 25. And it says, Husband loves your, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There's the pattern for every man. You love your, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. We just said, empty yourself of who you think you are. Put yourself on the altar. Sacrifice yourself for the family. And then we referenced a couple of scriptures. We read Isaiah 53, verse 6 through 8, which talked about Jesus being the lamp. Who, he opened not his mouth. He was a lamb to the slaughter. And then we, we referenced it in Mark 14 where it actually spoke about these things. Jesus, when he was brought before the council, how he didn't speak anything about all the false accusations and witnesses against him. Only time he spoke up when it was, when it was, when it was time for truth. And I call that denying yourself. Because Jesus had the right, if he wanted to, to speak up about all those false accusations. But he didn't speak up about anything but truth. And we said these things could be done in your own home as well. When you're getting ridiculed or, or not even just by your family, but about the job, by the job or anything like that, you don't have to speak about anything but truth. But when you do speak, you speak the truth in love. <laughs> you don't have to be like, well, this is truth and I told you, ha, ha, ha. No, that's not in love. That's not purpose. Yeah, listen, you don't have to be right all the time. Just speak truth. Truth is right. Jesus is right. Jesus Christ is the righteous. Just speak truth. Like Jesus did, as a lamb to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. As a sheep before his shears is dumb. I don't, I don't have to speak about all the, all the things that you have to say about me or all the things that I may have done in the past, or things. That's, but let me speak truth to you. Because truth is what's going to save your family. Truth is what's going to keep your family on purpose. All the other stuff is just noise. I also talked about, you know, little bitty small arguments that you think you need to win in your house. If it doesn't affect truth, let it go. Because you need peace in your home. And what did we say last week? Peace is conducive for purpose. Peace is conducive for purpose. Let those small things go. If it doesn't affect truth and what God's word says, so what if you're considered wrong about it? It's not life-threatening. It's not life-changing. It has nothing to do with truth. What did Jesus do? It didn't matter that they were saying all these false accusations about him. 
He kept his mouth closed only until it was time to talk about truth. They asked him, are you the son of God? Oh, I'm opening my mouth about that. Remember those things. Loving your wife as Christ loved the church is a lifetime work. And the male needs a female who will submit to him in this career. But if your wife won't submit, that means she's out of control. But what does the out of control wife mean? The out of control wife is evidence of a husband who doesn't love as Christ loves. Remember what I said, you have to start with yourself. The male, as the male, you've been positioned. You got to start with you first. If you don't like the direction of your home, check yourself first. Well, so how do I know these things? Well, let's point out about an out-of-control wife. And so, ladies, I may be talking about some of y'all. I don't know if you're out of control in your home. This is just, listen, I'm going for my notes, okay? All right? So the out-of-control wife, she does her own thing. And I'll give you just a little example. If it does her own thing, she'll spend money without, without not asking, but without conferring with her husband. And I, I'm not talking about she went and bought a cup of coffee. No, I'm talking about big things. You know, and then we'll talk about it later. I'm talking about, you know, running them credit cards up. She does her own thing. Uh, uh, an out-of-control wife, wife is not consistent in raising of the children. That means one day I might correct one thing, one day I might let it slide. One day, you know, the father may correct something, but when he's not around, I don't enforce that correction. That's inconsistent. That's off of purpose. An out-of-control wife, she talks too much. Always in other business, all the time, on the phone, talking about other business. If you're on the phone, why does somebody else's name always have to come out your mouth? That's an out-of-control wife. Uh, uh, these are all evidence of things, these are all evidence of a husband that don't love as Christ love. See, I'm saying these things about, about the female, but husbands, listen closely. And we're going to touch on it, too. I said we're going to get into some practical things last week. We're going to touch on some of these things that I'm going through and how the husband's lack of love is leading to these things. An out-of-control wife complains to others about her husband. Loud. Everybody knows about her husband or what she thinks about her husband or what he's done wrong. Never has nothing nice to say about her husband. That's the out-of-control. Uh, the out-of-control wife, and Minister Hasten touched on this as well, manipulates through sex. Uh, manipulates through them crocodile tears. But that's evidence of a husband that doesn't love as Christ loved the church. Because Christ's love for the church validates. It doesn't require manipulation. But being, being a hard or tough, tough man, it's not going to correct this. Only loving as Christ does will correct this. So let's look this in Ephesians 5. We're still there. Let's go to verse 23. We're going to go back up a little bit because we started at 25. And verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now that just, that just ministered to me. And I don't, I don't want you, you women to, to get upset by what I'm going to say, but Christ is the Savior of the body, right? So husband is not her dictator. The husband is the wife's deliverer. Don't get upset about that. Jesus is my deliverer. Yes, he is. He is. And he's the pattern for every man. He's the everlasting father. So the husband is the, he's the deliverer of the home. Uh, the church is, 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 is the body of Christ. Uh, 
well, when the husband, when he leaves father and mother and cleaves to the wife, his wife, guess what? She's the, she's, the, she's the body of the husband. So he's the deliverer of that body. See, domestic submission in relationship to the church in Christ is the true reflection of divine order and divine purpose. So let's read a little bit about wives' submission. And again, it's going to sound like I'm talking to the women, but keep in mind what I said. It starts with the husband loving as Christ loves the church. So let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. And I'm going to read verse 18 through 19. It's a very popular scripture. It says, Wives, Submit yourselves unto your own husband as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now, I want to tell you this, this submit yourself, this, this doesn't mean the wife is to submit herself to the husband as Lord. No. There's only one Lord. Jesus is that elder. He is the firstborn. But submission is the wife's service to the Lord. Submitting yourself to your husband is your service to the Lord. If you can't submit, then you, you're not serving the Lord because that's his divine order. That's his divine purpose. But again, like I said, if you have a problem submitting, we're still going to concentrate on the husband. <clears throat> but those under submission are protected. As Christ is the Savior of the church, his body, so a husband should be protector of his wife, who is one flesh with him. And again, submission doesn't mean inferior. It means that she recognizes the husband as the head of the home and responds to him accordingly without trying to usurp authority to herself. Uh, she's, the, she's in help meet. There's an expected end, and I'm going to help get to that expected end by submitting. Uh, because what is the purpose? What is the call of the family? To produce spiritually and emotionally mature believers who in turn get the redemptive work done on the earth. So uh, we need submission to get that done. Uh, but husbands, you need to love as Christ loves to get that submission. See, there's a, there's a harmony in divine order. But everybody has to do their part. So a husband's love for his wife has to be an unselfish love. Laying down your life just as Christ laid down his life for the church. Putting her first. Serving your family and not yourself first. You know, this is a small thing, right? And I, This is just an example of me. So since I've been married, and I'm, it'll be 11 years in February, but since I've been married, there's been some changes in growth in my life. For example, there's certain things and certain, certain movies or shows that I like to watch. Or, yeah, certain movies and shows that I like to watch. But when it comes to my wife, there's certain things that we just don't agree on that we like to watch. But here's the thing, right? I love spending time with my wife. So some of those things that I like to watch, you know, if I don't get to watch them, it's okay. When I'm with my wife, I'm going to do something that she likes to enjoy. Why? Because it's about service to her. It's not about what we're watching. It's not about what we're doing. It's, listen, I can laugh about things that I like, and I can laugh about things that she, that she likes. Because it's about service to my family. It's about making her, it's about leaving and cleaving. Certain things I can leave because I'm cleaving to my wife. Those things are not important when it comes to purpose. See, little things like that send a message to your wife. Oh, you can sacrifice what you, you know, you know, well, oh, oh honey, I, my game is on. Leave me alone for this many. What if your wife wants to spend time with you right then when, when your favorite game is on? 
It is a game. Your wife, your family is not a game. Purpose is not a game. Well, why would I have, why do I need to leave what I do for, for she? Well, you've been positioned, Mel. Uh, step into that role. Step into purpose. You were formed first, right? That's your priority, to put your wife, your, your family first before you. Step into position. Uh, I can guarantee you, when you do that, you have a wife who's willing to submit. When you do certain things like that. Because she sees your heart. It's not about watching what she wants to watch. It's about the heart behind it. What are you willing to give up for? If you're not willing, I guarantee you this, if you're not willing to give up something that small, there's some big things in your life you're not willing to give up. Why do I need to give it up? There's purpose in it. And if you are a believer, there's pleasure in it because in purpose, it's service to the Lord. And there's always pleasure in service to the Lord. So how much the husband watch? A, a husband must, I'm going to sacrifice who I am for you. I'm going to bow down my ambitions because it's not about me. It's about God's purpose. I'm, I'm willing to cry for you. I'm willing to sweat blood drops for you. I'm willing to put it on the line for you. I, listen, you're her deliverer. I'm your champion. I'm your friend. I'm your husband. I'm your father. I'm your brother. See, these things, the, the wife needs this. This is something that I learned from my father. I, I learned this from my father because my mother, when she was born, her father wasn't alive. And my father told me this thing. He said, you know what? I had to be a father to your mother in some areas as well. But let me tell you, what we say a father is, a mentor, a pattern worthy of imitation. And it's so amazing to me how, how I married my wife because her father wasn't what well, he passed when she was at a young age. So there are some things that she may not have got to see, but I have to be that father in her life as well. But it's purpose behind it. Uh, that means as long as you have breath in your, your body, males, you have to purpose to be her husband. You can't just call yourself a husband. You have to live on purpose. So that, that means you, you don't make your wife your slave or your property. That's, that's not what submission is. But the mixture of submission and love causes the harmonious partnership and keeps them on one accord. For purpose sake. So let's look at Ephesians, because we're almost going to get to some of these practical things. I'm trying to get there. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 through 28. Let's go there. Should be going back to it, because we were already there. Verse 26 through 28. Actually, I'm going to read 25 again. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Now, as Christ loved the church, the man must give up his personal ambitions to, to serve his wife with washing of water by the word. So we all know what physical washing is. It's cleaning. Scrubbing. Getting the dirt out. Metaphorically, what this means is regenerate. It's, it's pictured by, I'm going to put this, it's the counseling of your wife with the word. And here's the thing about counseling. Counseling can be done by word, 
but it can only be enforced by your actions. It all, it all boils back down to it, right? You can talk. Talk is cheap, though, if you don't have anything behind it. Talk, your, your talk only has substance if your actions are there. So that means, fathers, husbands, if you're going to counsel your wife with the word, the word has to first be in you. It has to be in you first. And it starts with you. It says sanctifying and cleansing. You, you can't have one without the other. The word being in you shows that you have love for your family. It shows your commitment to purpose. It's part of leaving and cleaving. And, and, and like I said, that sanctifying and cleansing, you cannot have one without the other. As you're cleansed with the washing of the word, you're sanctified. As you're sanctified with the washing of the word, you're being cleansed. I, I look at it this way. Cleansing is subtracting the ways of the old man, and sanctifying is adding the ways of Christ, the pattern for every man. Those are the things you have to do to yourself first. Then you can wash your family, your wife, with the word. Uh, when I say your wife, I'm talking about your family because who do you think teaches the children, you and your wife? So when you teach your wife, you're teaching your family. Uh, and if you don't have children, guess who's your family? Your wife. But the out-of-control wife, like it just said in the scripture, she has spots and wrinkles and blemishes that must be, re must be removed, just as Christ did for the church. Because we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. But if you don't stay with the commandment and keep your, your wife washed, there's a thing that happens. And it happened back in Genesis. Remember what I said last week? You can go back to the very first of the book and you can see everything that happened there. Let's do that real quick. Genesis chapter 3. Because if you don't stay with the commandment of washing, your, washing your, your family or your wife with the word, some things can happen. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more subtle, subtle, subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it. Neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth, not know, God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And, then, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and, the tree, and, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the, the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So let me tell you what happens. When you don't keep with your commandment of washing with the word, when a position is neglected, another position goes lacking. Uh, that's just what happened. Uh, he neglected to continue with washing his wife by the word. She went lacking, and in turn, he went lacking. But it all started with him. He neglected to keep her washed with the water of the word. And the thing about it is we have to remember we have to dress and keep. That's what we've been placed in the family for, males. That's our purpose. And a man without the knowledge of God's purpose is destined for failure. And he'll take his family with him. So with these last 10 to 15 minutes, I say 15 because it actually just says 10. But with these last 10 to 15 minutes, we're going to look at a few practical things here.
we're going to look at what a man without the knowledge of purpose looks like. So first, number one, a man without the knowledge of purpose is frustrated and easily distracted. So what is frustrated? Frustrated is a feeling of distress because of an inability to change, perceive, or achieve something. Frustrated is a feeling of distress because of an inability to change, perceive, or achieve something. And again, I said, this is all for a man without the knowledge of purpose. You're frustrated. It prevents one from progressing and succeeding in purpose. Frustrations and distractions, they'll get one to move from a fixed point. Because all it is is showing that you were never fixed from that point from the beginning. Uh, that point being purposed in, in Christ. Distracted is you're not able to focus on purpose because your mind is preoccupi preoccupied, inattentive, or worried about something. And we see that the highest priority is the direction of the home. I, I, didn't change, I didn't change that when I say your highest priority will be the direction of your home because if you, if you haven't made God your priority, then his purpose won't be your direction. Whatever you make your priority, that'll be your direction. So let's think of, you know, frustrations, right? I'm going to put it in a natural thing. And I'm, I'm a sports guy. My father was. He taught me about it. Uh, I'm a Bible guy, too. <laughs> so I'm going to bring that into the Bible here. So, but think of a boxing match, right? The highest priority of a boxing match is to win and doing it the way that you've been trained to win, the way that your trainer has taught you, doing the way that you practice and you work for. However, in a fight, Things don't always go the way that you plan them to. So you get distracted. You get frustrated. But if you stay fixed on that point that you've trained, then you can always come back and, and you can regroup. Because let me tell you, your trainer, the pattern for every man, he, he's, he's aware of your afflictions. Uh, he put on flesh. He knows what you're going through. He has contingencies, if you will. He knows what you're going through. You just got to trust the process. You have to continue in the faith. But, like in a boxing match, many people who've lost their match, they try to take things into their own hand when they think, I can't trust this training process anymore. Then they start swinging for the fences. And you know what happens when you start swinging for the fences? You leave yourself wide open. And here's the thing, though. With your family, you leave yourself and your family wide open. So let's look at certain frustrations. Hopefully I can get through these today. I'm going to start with frustrations with your children. Because we're talking about frustrations in the family that could keep you from the knowledge of God's purpose. So know this one thing. For children, uh, and that means you because we were all children before, no one's exempt from fleshy desires. No one's exempt from the temptation of sin. So your children are going to try you too. Uh, your duty as a father is to stand strong in the faith. Here's what I want you to understand. These things are going to happen. If they're not happening, that means they're hiding it very well from you. These things are going to happen. These things are common to all men. But that's why father needs to be positioned.
It, it doesn't mean, this is what I want you to understand. You know, father being in position, it doesn't mean that your children are going to make all the right choices. That means when they're there making the wrong choices, you need to step in. Washing them with the water of the word, you need to tell them, no, no, sweetheart. No, son, that's, that's the wrong choice. And here's what you need. Ultimately, it will come down to the decision, but are you in your position? Uh, but that means you must be consistent in your actions as well. Because we said that your words don't have substance if you don't have any actions behind them. No one likes to hear from a hypocrite. That includes your children. I, I don't mean that men can't make mistakes. Males, fathers, husbands, you can make mistakes. That's okay. Make sure it's corrected. What I'm talking about is men can't be practicing hypocrites and then try to teach their children. Uh, you're causing yourself frustrations. You need to get on the knowledge of God's purpose. You have to ask yourself certain things like, you know what, um, has there been anything that I may have said or done that opened the gate to that behavior that they have now? Did I allow them to hang with certain individuals or go around certain people, even family, that I know don't have the same standard as I do? Christ, the pattern for every man. Do I reward their disobedience? Am I consistent in their discipline? Do I turn their lives and their discipline over to people like coaches? Instead of doing my job, what I've been blessed by the Lord to do? Uh, you know, being the high priest in your own home. All these things are important. So, and, and one thing that you have to understand, Mills, is that the, the permanent things in your family's life, they learn from the home. Oh, well, no, I saw some things that I didn't teach them. Yeah, but the response to those things were learned in the home. Quit, see, like I said, get the beam out of your own eye. Quit trying to shift the blame. It's learned in your own home. Start with yourself. Let's say your child is interested in a member of the opposite sex. We all know that choosing, especially for a young person, is not an easy task. Even with direction. But if taught correctly, this person will bring that prospect around family. Even if they've chosen incorrectly. I'm going to bring it around family. Why? Because father needs to approve. And if he doesn't, and he's submitting it on purpose, and his actions show the same thing, then that child will fall in line. But if you get pushed back, then you need to see where have I been pushing back against God's purpose. Because that flow of family can only be found in God's purpose. Now let's look at frustrations with your wife, and I'm going to end with this, and I'm going to finish this though, so we're going to, I'm going to finish this on frustrations with your wife. But if you have a wife that frustrates you, again, we need to start with ourselves. Instead of going to her and asking her why she's so frustrating in your uncivil tones, your combative tones, <coughs> let's go to God and ask him, why is my wife frustrating me? I promise you, he's going to start with you and show you yourself. You know, sometimes the wife, you know, you may say, 
that she's frustrating you or she's frustrated, but it's because the husband has left her to do what the world calls women's work. You know, some of that natural dressing and keeping, some of the, the natural leaving and cleaving that you should have learned to do before you even got married. That'll help you with some of those frustrations that you're perceived that are caused by your wife. You know, like doing laundry and doing dishes, cleaning. Oh, th these things have to do with purpose? Yes! Of course they do. Do you want peace in your home? Purpose is, peace is conducive for purpose. Or maybe you, you just need to make more time for your wife. You know, make big deals about just spending time with her like you do with the boys come over. You know, let's order out. Let's get some food in over here. Let's, we have the game coming on. Let's, no, make a, big, make a big deal about your wife. And I'm not talking about on special occasions like anniversaries and birthdays. I'm just saying make a big deal just because. Because God has given you an opportunity to live purposefully for him with the wife. You know what else increases peace in your home? Romance. Uh, romance has purpose. Uh, see, when, when I say that word, a lot of people go to the world's view of romance. No, no, no. Stay on purpose to produce spiritually and emotionally mature believers who in turn get God's redemptive work done. Romance. Show your wife you care, you know, like you used to do when you were dating. Learn to love your wife's shortcomings because they're completing you. Any shortcomings she has, they're completing you. Any shortcomings you have, they're completing her. Appreciate her submission to the purpose of God. Appreciate her intelligence. Appreciate her beauty. Appreciate her spirit. Husbands, appreciate her body. After all, you're giving yourself for all. You're giving, you, you, I'm sorry. After all, you're, you're to give yourself for all. And this is just as Christ gave himself for the church. Present your wife to yourself by washing her with the word. Plan some you and her time. And I'm not just talking about we're going to go out to, to dinner and in a movie. That could be the beginning of the evening. But plan to please her spiritually as well. Plan to, speak, to please her mentally and physically. Uh, all those things are part of purpose. Spiritually, mentally, and physically. This is how you leave and cleave and become one flesh. You know, the word, the word of God tells us about being romantic and being sexually stimulating to your wife as well. Why would the word cover that? Because it's purpose. There's purpose behind it. Dressing, keeping, leaving, and cleaving. It's all purpose. And I'm not going to read this here, but read Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15 through 19, where it talks about drinking from your own cistern. And it talks about what you should, how you should live on your wife's body. Please your wife. Because that sends a message to her as well. You know, that, that sends a message to her that she's first in your mind. She's first in your heart. Well, you don't try to rush things and get what you came for first. Husbands, oh, it's going to get real. 
Make sure she gets what she needs. It's about service. <laughs> service to purpose. Make sure she gets what, what she needs first. Because it sends a message. Uh, a woman can submit to a man that puts her first and the rest of the family first. Especially in things that you can easily make about you. And sexual stimulation, you can easily make that about you. But marital sex, which glorifies God. Remember, we, we started on sexual practice in the church way back at the beginning of this year. Marital sex, which glorifies God. It honors marriage and it satisfies spouses. It, it also exists in parts to prevent treachery in your home, adultery in your home. When we deprive our spouse uh, of the sense of sexual devotion or romance, we leave her unprotected. Open to physical and emotional temptations that can leave your marriage vulnerable to destructive actions and habits. See, in our culture of self-fulfillment, self this, this protective aspect of sexual intimacy has been overshadowed by a focus on sexual pleasure. But it's interesting, the Bible doesn't separate protection from pleasure. I don't get that because it's all wrapped up in purpose. Both those things are expressed in a biblical sexual relationship, uh, in marriage, in the covenant of marriage between two believers, male and female. See, marriage in God's covenant, that means that our bodies are now claimed by God for the pleasure and service to one another. Married males and females. If you're committed to one another's pleasure and service, nobody goes to sleep disappointed. You don't have to be concerned with getting mine. Because in my service to you, I'm satisfied. See, that's a gift from God. And we're to enjoy the gifts that God has given us. Because remember, it's still about purpose. And when someone is intent on getting their delight by being a delight, it don't get no better than that. By being a service, uh, that's how Jesus was to the church. He's the, the greatest among you serve. But when you don't have purpose on your mind and you don't even keep up with these things, you find yourself frustrated because you have a wife that shows the world what is for your eyes only. Advertises your goodies to the world. And then you blaming her, but start with yourself. Uh, these things are, are, are meant for marriage, are meant for the family. These things are meant for your leaving and cleaving process. And I want to keep going, but I've been out of time. And you can be dismissed. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.